I would tell all my students is like, you guys are going to be down. No doubt about it. You have been down. Everybody has been down. But the most important thing, the only lesson that everybody needs to understand is, yes, you're down, but definitely get up, get up, get up, get up. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Welcome back to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast, everybody. I have an awesome guest with me here today, and his name is Nicholas Babin. As a strategic advisor and consultant, Nicholas is passionate about catapulting revenue and driving innovation for businesses that share his values. His background as a serial entrepreneur, executive, and board member has spanned from startups to multinational tech giants. Today, Nicholas is excited by opportunities to help innovative companies achieve profitable growth and key business goals. Welcome to the show, Nicholas. We're really excited to have you today. Thank you, Lauren. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much. So let's start off. The question that I love asking everybody is, how about you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your incredible background? As you can tell, I'm not that young anymore. <laughs> so that's the reason I have such a, a long background. It brings I, wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> I have over 35 years of experience with a common denominator, which is around marketing, innovation, and new technologies. I have lived and worked. So if I go from west to east, I started in San Francisco in the in the Bay Area, then moved to London, then moved to Brussels, so England, Belgium, then Tokyo in Japan, then Berlin in Germany, and moved back to France back in 2008. So yeah, for 20 years, I was actually traveling the world for Sony mostly. I had many roles with Sony most important ones were when I was in charge of AI and robotics. I launched the Ibo dog, the talking dog. No way. That's so cool. And so it was the first, it's, it's actually still the first AI based robot that you could buy on the market. After that, so I, I came back to France because I'm originally from France, as you can tell from my accent. Yes, it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, since I've, I've worked for companies in the web analytics world, in the gamification world, since 2017, I started my own company, Babin Business Consulting, and I consult on a lot of uh, subjects, mostly digital transformation, but I give conferences or where I speak. As I mentioned, I'm an author of a book. I also help startups with fundraising because I, in my long career, I started 26 companies. What? Uh, 15 of them are still alive. So I'm wow. pretty proud to say. <laughs> 11 That's insane. It's a mindset when, when you enjoy you know, new technologies and you see a new product or a new solution and you well, if I like it, I'm sure other people will and you start a business, basically. I'm still involved with uh, some of the startups, like uh, even uh, on a day-to-day basis, like for example, Affinity Initiative, which is a low no-code platform and I play the role of a chief marketing officer for them. But I have others uh, that are still alive in France, in the UK mainly, and in, in the US. So these were the three countries where I, I created all these companies. I have one also in India. Wow, that's so cool. Wow. Still, still involved in that one too. Yeah, so so that keeps me busy every day. <laughs> yeah, it seems like 
<laughs> you may not be doing enough. 15 active companies doesn't seem like enough. <laughs> well, again, you know, I'm not involved in the 15 uh, companies that I created. But, oh, uh, my gosh. But at least I, I keep in touch because it's always fun to see that one of your babies is now becoming a, a very serious company. I mean, the, the, one of the companies that I created in France, for example, is called Maxi Coffee. It's a company that now uh, turns over over 150 million when we started from scratch with two friends of mine. So, you know, so, so it's pretty nice to see, to see that. That's in a nutshell, try to do 35 years, sorry, in about two minutes. So that, that's yeah. <laughs> simple task, but you did it really well. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I think what I'm most excited about is how global your experience is. You don't see that very often, just how widely spanned you are across all these different continents, all these different countries. So I'm actually really curious to know, obviously, the focus of our conversation is around retention. And you've seen that in so many different ways, whether it's one of those 15 companies or if it's your consulting business that you work with clients. But I think it's really interesting because there you must have seen so many different strategies taking place across all these different countries and these businesses. So I guess one thing that I'm curious about is what interesting changes have you seen in the marketing industry over all this experience that you have? Obviously, that's a very simple question, but... <laughs> yeah, very simple, great question, but it makes me feel so old when I think back. <laughs> so wise, so wise. <laughs> yeah, but all the changes that I've seen, uh, you know, when I first started to work, I think one of my first jobs was back in 1986. At the time, we didn't have internet. Everybody had a computer. <laughs> so, so, and, <laughs> and today, I only work on digital projects. You see, so, I mean, going back from 1986 to today, over 40 years, almost 40 years, it's hard. What I've seen is obviously, as I mentioned, the internet rise. In, in marketing, there used to be a, a way of doing things where, you know, because we didn't have this direct approach to customers, it was either through advertising on television or through advertising on billboards or things like that. And at the time, there was something that I really, in a sentence that I use many, many times over is the fact that we used to spray information and pray that somebody would read it. Love that. <laughs> right? So it was the spray and pray strategy, which today obviously does not work anymore. I mean, it's, 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 it's a different world. So that, that spray and pray methodology was really something that we had to be good at and we had to spend a lot of money because you know having a 30-second advertising on television with extremely expensive billboard put on a side of a, of a freeway for a month or two months, you couldn't change the strategy or the campaign you had in place, you know, and it was really hard also to get immediate feedback, real-time feedback. It was impossible because somebody will see an ad, for example, a Sony ad on the side of the freeway, and you had no idea how long it would take them to go buy a TV, for example. Yeah, true. That was a huge change because today we're about personalization of marketing and we're about data. You know, anything. I, I remember back in uh, 2002 or 2003, I had a big presentation to the top management of Sony. And I told them, I said, you know, data is key to everything. This is what is going to be the next oil for us. It's our golden nugget. It's everything. And they looked at me thinking, he's nuts. It really <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't get it. Because at the time, it was not really about data. It was, again, about spray and pray. Whereas now it's about personalization, it's about experience, it's about you know UX is everybody user experience. That's what everybody's talking about. It's about retention. You know, I know this is going to be our subject today. So obviously, it's still about getting customers, but you get them in a different way. And I'll, I'll mention it in the, in the next questions. But 
it's about being present everywhere. It's about ubiquities of, of services. It's about selling solutions and not boxes anymore. I've seen this all, you know, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't make me feel very happy because and that means that I have a very long experience. And it's one very important point is that at least for, for everyone, it's even for you in the next 20 years is to always think that you need to be on top of the world you live in. And it's not easy. It's all about change management. It's all about mindset. And, you know, I have friends my age who say, oh, I'm too old to learn this. I'm too old no to think. No way. Different. Of course, yeah. You'll have friends telling you the same thing in about 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> And that's when you think, no, if you want to be in marketing, if you want to be in innovation, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be somebody who's going to you know, uh, be different, have a different type of resume, as you mentioned, I've worked and lived in, in, in many countries. And it's true that the fact that I have all, all these cultures with me have helped me to basically still be on top. And you know, the day I'm not on top anymore is the day I will retire. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not ready for that. Not ready for that. You've still got a long ways to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. And I guess it's so true. Like you saw such different marketing strategies. And not only do you have to adapt it, you have to be ahead of the game in that, which I'm sure you bring that thinking to your consulting business because obviously you're working with different businesses, helping them drive innovation and be able to work on their revenue operations and generation. So I know that in your consulting business, you're passionate about the revenue side and the innovation side, and it's all about companies that share your values. So do you mind talking a little bit more about those values, what they are, and why they're so important to you? Yeah, those values, I've always had them, and it has been something really different. It's part of my DNA, and it's something that I advise people on saying, do not change your values. This is how you build your business. This is how you build your brand. And so my own values have always been about transparency, honesty and equality amongst uh, everyone. So this is, I mean, you can go on my LinkedIn, you, you can see the, uh, I have a, a lot of uh, references and recommendations uh, from many people, um, bosses, people working with me, working for me, all these things. And it's pretty much what comes out of it. And that's, I'm really proud of that is, uh, you know, these three values are extremely important. I, I will not name some of my customers that I've stopped working for because I felt those values were not understood, followed, uh, appreciated. It's so important to stay true to that because otherwise that's how you operate yourself. It's critical. When you do a project, if you're not true to your values, then the project will probably not succeed. So I've, I've, had, I've had many customers that I've decided not to work for as a consultant. I've had companies that I resent from. In general, I always stay a minimum of three years in a company because I feel that you know, the first year you, you learn your job, the second year you implement what you want to put as a strategy, and the third year you prepare someone else for your job. So that's why I did at Sony. Every three years I would change jobs. It's really important for me in general, but I have stopped working for companies before three years when I realized that my values were not matched by the management. I respect that a lot. And I think having that as the fundamental of your business core is so important because that drives everything else. Absolutely. And even just for brands to have values that are important to them helps with things like retention and their marketing because it's not about driving profit, but it's about driving mission first or value first kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So I really respect that. But even just kind of going off of that, how do you work with your businesses on the retention side of things? And do you implement these kind of values into your work? So implement this type of values, absolutely. 
especially today, because today it's not about what we used to see in marketing, which is about positioning, about, you know, following a process when you launch a product or things like that. It's all about experience and it's all about quality, right? I think the element of branding, which used to be extremely important in the past, is not as important anymore because you have the choice of, you know, many, many brands. You have the choice of many type of companies, startups, scale-ups, huge internationals. And all this actually makes a big difference. So the way I work with, with my customers is really by ensuring that they understand what the values are and how to implement them. So on any digital transformation project, the way I do it is I start with an audit and I work with the staff, all of them, including top management, but including also and especially also staff that will tell me basically things that Sometimes, you know, top management don't allow them to, to say or whatever, or it's difficult because it's, you know, your boss or things like that. So I, I really try to incorporate everyone into a plan, which then will be delivered to shareholders or, or, or top management in order to implement it. And that's the same in marketing. When, when there's a marketing strategy that needs to be put in place, I ensure that we get market information. We get employee information. We get also shareholder information because obviously this is extremely important that they are involved uh, in the decisions. Nice. And when you're working with people on more retention-focused projects, what are some of the key questions that you see customers asking you when they're trying to solve or build a proper retention strategy? It has changed since COVID. I have to be very honest. I have seen a huge change in mindset and a huge change in strategy because you know, until COVID, obviously you evolve with the market, you evolve with your customers, you, you evolve with your prospects, you evolve with your employees and everything. But since COVID has started, you've had this, and now with inflation, now with uh, the uh, geopolitical instability in the world and everything, I see that big companies as well as startups are worried about what could happen. And so the big questions are always about the same thing. It's like, how can I ensure that, you know, in the next two, three years, I'm still going to be around? How can I ensure that if we launch a product today, that that product will have a future? And how can we think about a, a five-year strategy on, as we say, from cradle to grave in terms of, of product launch, uh, when you do a product launch or when you do even a, a product a strategy about launching a product? So all, all, all these, I have seen a huge, huge change in mentalities since COVID. And uh, it's not anymore again as, uh, you know, as used to be about all the marketing strategies that we learn at school or that you have seen, which is, okay, we're going to spend that much money because we expect to get that much return on it. It's not about sales wants uh, this product out that time. So we're going to plan at this stage or whatever. It's, it's really about being agile, being capable of changing strategy very quickly I mentioned earlier on, you know, that when we used to have a, a Sony campaign and uh, for two or three months, we couldn't change it. Today, you can't do that anymore. It would not be possible in this day and age. No. You have a Facebook ad or you have a Twitter ad, whatever you want to do as a campaign or even a TV ad, because that happens uh, still. <laughs> then you need to ensure that you get real-time information. You need to ensure that at least your you're going to be present everywhere where your target customers are. So for example, uh, if your products are more targeted towards uh, the millennials, 
then your products need to be on, on YouTube, need to be on TikTok. And on the other hand, if the product is, uh, is used for older people, then you need to ensure that it's going to be in digital stores. Then it's going to be on platforms, maybe Facebook for like grandparents when they see, you know, pictures of their grandchildren and stuff like that. So, but all these are our new strategies, right? Because even today, I find that a lot of my customers of uh, social media, for example, in the past, people were scared of uh, journalists because they think, oh, um, can I say something off with a journalist or is it going to be interpreted differently? And then how is the article going to be? Well, that I don't see it anymore with journalists because at least you have a person you're talking to. And so people start feeling a little bit more comfortable. But on social media, with everything we see in terms of fake news and all this, then the strategy is different and people are scared of it because it's different. And, you know, one thing that people hate is change. So change management is actually, I would say, even if I talk about technology, if I talk about innovation and all this, more than half of my time is about change management, explaining to companies how to change their perception, how to optimize the use of a tool that they cannot use today. If you tell a company as a, as a consultant, don't go on social media, I mean, it, it's the, it would be the, the worst <laughs> yeah. strategy you can put in place. You have to use it. But once you know all the uh, potential risks, then you can handle you know, them and ensure that at least your, your strategy will be, hang on, there, there are risks, but let's mitigate those risks and at least make sure that le- what we do is going to be optimized with the social media. That's the reason why I wrote my book. I'm not trying to do a, an advertising on my book here, but I th- a lot of people were telling me, you know, we're so worried about digital. We're so scared of what the, the consequences we could find. I thought it would be nice to have at least a book that goes back to the past, explain where we all come from, because we're all on a journey, right? It's like you, if I go back to your great-grandparents, let's say that they had said no, no to electricity or no to telephone, where would we be today, right? So today we're on a journey of new technologies of of different channels of communication and all this, and you can't stop it, right? A lot of people are going to tell you, we need to stop 5G. You'll never stop 5G. You'll never stop 6G. I started with Sony. We launched 2G, right? And we knew the rest was coming after that. And that's why I wrote the book. It was really to calm people down, explain to them where it's all coming from, where all the dangers are, and how to work around those dangers to ensure at least we have a safer, ethical ways of using new technologies. So I'm not naive. I know not everybody's going to read my book already. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the first thing. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But the second thing is, I, I know you know that you have countries that are uh, using uh, technologies for the worst. You have uh, people that are that crooks uh, using technologies to to steal money from people, to steal products to sell. So I know all these things, but if you as a consumer and if marketers can really use this to say, hang on, yes, there are risks. Yes, it could be dangerous. But if you know all this, this is how you should behave. Then we'll all be better off. That's why I tell my customers on a daily basis. That's why I mentioned a lot about change management, because it's all about different mindset. It's all about working differently. And marketing is a huge part of this. Yeah. 
And what I really like about what you said is the word journey, because it's almost like you're always adapting to the changes in these things, meaning there's no final destination just because we're in 2022 and you have the use of the metaverse and AI and all this fun stuff. doesn't mean that things won't change in the next few years because they likely will. And it's all about adapting to that. So like you mentioned, that's a journey, not a final destination. Absolutely. And you're right. Metaverse is the perfect example of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a mix of digital, what we call digital world, the physical and digital world. And again, we have to adapt to that because when you see Nike, when you see Facebook, Meta, when you see all the banks, all the insurance companies, when all these huge companies pouring in hundreds of millions, billions, even like if you talk about Meta into this, you know that something is going to come out of it. These guys are not stupid. They're not pouring money to, to just for the fun of it, right? So all this, as you rightfully said, it's, it's part of the journey and metaverse is one step of the journey. We're going to see another step soon, but that's why it's fascinating. We live in a, in a fantastic world, but we need to be careful. That's what I'm saying. And so when you do talk and consult on change management, specifically, let's say on the retention side, because obviously that's a big part of under the marketing strategy, I guess, do you have some sort of like a framework that people that you recommend to people to how to navigate change management, given that things are changing so much? Like how do companies even know, like how do we deal with all the things that change? Like how do you recommend to deal with that? You see, that, that that's one thing that I used to have that before COVID. I used to have a framework. I used to follow a way of working and I don't anymore because... You underwent change management yourself. <laughs> yeah, ex- no, absolutely. Because every company, every employee is different today. And again, if I work with a company in Germany or in Romania, they, they will have different fear, different ways of, of managing their change, right? Because Romania, for example, they, they share a border with uh, Ukraine, right? So they're, they know they need to do business, obviously, because otherwise they're, they're, they're not going to continue uh, thriving. But in the same time, they also have to think about their employees. Before the war started, I used to work a lot in Ukraine, in Kiev, with many companies there. And what they did, you know, and suddenly they called and say, okay, the Russians are coming in. What should we do? I said, seriously, just every key employee, that, just send them to Europe for the time being. Uh, they'll be working from home. So at least you can still manage your customers and you still please your customers but don't take any risks for anyone. This is, this is crazy. So having a framework today, and it's, it's general, it's not, it's not only for Babin Business Consulting, it's for the, the world. Having a framework today for the world will not work. What you need to show today is uh, agility in everything you do because everything is different. I mean, seriously, five years ago, you and I would have had that chat today, five years ago, and we would have never even thought of, I mean, I'd never thought of a, a global pandemic. Yes, exactly. Right? Suddenly, pandemic is on us. Uh, I used to have customers back in 2018 say, I'm the CEO of a very large company, which I will not mention the name. And he said, as long as I'm CEO of this company, nobody of my staff will ever work from home because that's like holidays in disguise. Then surprise. Yeah. When COVID, I wanted to call him so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what? That's what happens when you make a sweeping statement like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I don't have a framework anymore. I really, I spent my first week in general working with, because in general, it doesn't start with a company-wide project. In general, it's like, 
but we have a problem in marketing or, or we'd like to improve our marketing. Can you please work with the marketing team? So my first week is like working with the team, working with management and understand how it works, where they would like to see improvements. And from there, basically, I, I put together a plan. But a framework today is, is very difficult to make it work. Yeah, but it almost seems more traditional than progressive to have a framework because that almost means like you're filling a template, you're filling checking boxes versus exactly. yeah. actually being adaptive. But I guess I'm curious to know, so when you're working with these companies, obviously you're working with all different teams, all different employees, all different problems on a constant basis. Do you find that there's a common pattern of challenges that companies face when they're asking about their retention strategies? Yes, it's always interesting because I see that uh, companies forget about retention regularly and they focus more on getting new customers. And I keep telling them, I said, it costs less money to retain a customer than to get a new one. When you look at the effort you have to put in place to get a new customer, with obviously uh, communication, with marketing, with positioning of your product, with all these things, with just make sure your, your current customers are happier. So the problem you have with that is the fact that it's not only about marketing retention, it's about customer support. It's about finance. It's about top management. It's really company-wide strategy it needs to be because if it's only about marketing, you're going to f- miss a lot of points. Absolutely. A customer will be happy and will be more attached or glued to your brand as long as all his experiences with the brand are, you know, fantastic. And, and I'm, I'm really stressing that word. It needs to be fantastic because if, for example, uh, the customer has a problem and it takes forever to get a response or they say, oh, we only respond on Twitter. I've seen that with airline. Right? You have an issue with airlines. Some airlines said, oh, now all our communication is done on Twitter. Well, a lot of people don't have Twitter accounts. And now with what's going on, a lot of people are leaving Twitter. Right, So you need to be present everywhere. You, you need to ensure that at least you make customers' life easier. It's always been the motto, like customer is king and everything. But today is even more true than any time before. And that's why it's really retention to me, is key to everything. Obviously, you need to grow your business, right? But you can also grow your business. And I hear that the time. I say out of 100 times, I hear that 98 times. Say, yeah, you need to grow your business. Well, hang on. You You have a community. You have a base with your customers. So if you retain them, and if you ensure that at least they are happy, they will reorder from you, and you will grow from them as well. I'm not saying forget about getting new customers. But this is really one thing that I, I see all the time is, is about the retention. It's like any time when I ask the companies, say, please give me your, your retention strategy. What do you put in place? You know, I work a lot with gamification. That's something that I feel in terms of loyalty and engagement, you have nothing better than, than gamification. And when I don't see gamification in place, because for retention, this is really the best in terms of game mechanics. Very often, it scares people away, at least in terms of top management, because they say, oh, hang on, we have serious products. We're not around about games. <laughs> so I have to explain that it's not about games, about game mechanics that stick, you know, that marketing term about How do you think video games stuff. work so well? Exactly. It's the game theory underlying uh, the human psychology behind all of that stuff. And, and you know that uh, everybody plays. It's part of our DNA. From the dinosaur times, the dinosaurs were teaching their kids how to hunt. They use games for that. Right. Games can be for culture. 
when you look at the history of humankind, games came before culture. So everybody plays. I have some uh, CEOs. <laughs> I'm not picking on CEOs. I want to make sure. <laughs> But I have one of them who told me, oh, I never play games. <laughs> I say, do you do crosswords? Yeah, but it's not games. Well, hang on. That's, that's a, a game. game. <laughs> Exactly. So, so that's that's why it's really interesting is to see that uh, you have mechanics today. Maybe if it scares people away, don't call it gamification. Find another term. But it's all about engagement, all about loyalty, and these these strategies really work to ensure that at least uh, you retain your customers. Yeah, and I guess that's probably a very hard thing to picture if the company is always focused on acquisition and not enough on retention. So I guess it's part of your job to reframe that perspective for them. So how do you go about doing that? That's why it's nice to be a consultant because you are not every day present in the company. Right. You are not part of the overall strategy, but only thinking about your market, only thinking about your company. And bringing somebody from outside who has several industries experience several jobs experience as well, then at least you have some credibility and you have other ideas. Because it's true when you're in a job and you do things, you've been doing things the same way for the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's really hard to think about something else. So you always need somebody from outside who's going to come and say and challenge you and say, why are you doing it this way? Do you think there will be a day? The answer is 100% no. Yeah, <laughs> and then when, I, when I come up and I say, well, what about if you were to do this like this? And they look at me and said, no, but it wouldn't work. But what about trying? You know, we're, we're in the digital world. We can try. If it doesn't work, you're right. It didn't work. But at least we, we would have tried it, right? And they look at me and they said, oh, yeah, but it's not the way we work here. <laughs> I say, yeah. <laughs> disruption. Why did you call me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, honestly, one of my favorite things, actually, when I was in university, I took an entrepreneurship course. And one of the best lessons I learned in terms of looking at business models or working on your business is, obviously, you call it like, at restaurants, you call it being in the weeds, like you're so focused on what you're doing in this moment that you can't see anything else around you, especially when like orders are coming in, things are crazy. And so having someone like a consultant come in and kind of give that aerial view is helpful because it's all about seeing it from different perspectives. But this one exercise we always got put through, which I do almost each and every day, is um, getting a perspective that's not your own and not in your industry. So for example, it sounds whack, but basically you can come up with all these different ideas for an industry that's completely opposite from yours because there's a different view on it. There's different things at work. At the end of the day, you're targeting customers and you're understanding their behavior, but getting under these different views from different industries really, really helps just like what you said, because you have all these experiences in these different industries. So seeing it from like what works for a toy company could work for an insurance company, even though it doesn't sound like it could. Like gamification is also a great example of that because gamification doesn't mean just making a game. It's actually the underlying like human psychology that goes into that and how you can apply it to all these different companies. Like there's a one called Lemonade and they've grown rapidly in the insurance industry because they basically disrupted the entire process that is filing claims, getting claims and made it much more personalized, which every other insurance company said that's not the way we do it. We're a very traditional, formal industry. This is how we approach it. And they said, but why? And when they changed that, people went berserk for it because it's a whole new approach and it's rooted in gamification and almost just engagement, basically. So 
I really like that. And also, you I probably mean, bring the story of Tesla. Exactly. Exactly. The car industry was really made out of Germany, a little bit of France, uh, a little bit in Italy, but really everything came from Germany. And nobody expected anybody coming from California with a different type of cars, battery or, or operated on. I mean, it's just like, wow, you know, and, and look at the success of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always curious and when people have this much incredible experience, when you obviously seen different companies, either the ones that you've worked with, you've worked on, or just, I guess, ones that you are inspired by. What is an example of a company that does their retention strategy really well? So that's hard. because <laughs> I'm only here for the hard questions. <laughs> and I, I don't want to upset anyone. One example I want to give is, it's a bad example, but I, I want to give it anyway. <laughs> it's, for example, Apple. Okay. Right? Apple does retention, but through technology, it's the Apple world. You cannot leave it. Think about it. It's so right? true. Music is done with Apple. Your technology, your world, your environment, everything is done through Apple. So yeah, great retention, but <laughs> you do feel like a little bit in jail as far as <laughs> I'm and, and I hate that. So I've decided I will never buy an Apple product. And I Really? I, yeah, and I'm 56 years old. I've never bought an Apple product. I'm working only on Android. I know it's similar, but I feel like because I can work with many brands, you know, Sony, Samsung, LG, whoever, I mean, basically, so I feel a little bit free, freer. Interesting. And I'm not naive. I know I'm not, right? I just returned from California. I returned last Friday. And every time I, I do a speech and I... I say that I have people, I can hear people in the room say, he's pretty, what is he thinking about? Apple is great because in California, everybody has an Apple. I was going to say, you entered the land of Apple at that point? Yeah, exactly. Of course. <laughs> so I'm curious to know what you think a commonly held belief or concept is in the marketing industry that you passionately disagree with. And I'm excited to hear your answer. There are many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Many of them that I hear all the time. Today, I hear a lot of things about branding. So a uh, company brand is more important than it has never been in the, in the past. Well, I don't agree with that at all today. You know, I would not disagree, but I think what's more important is quality and it's experience. I mentioned that many times, you know, but marketing needs to be about experience. It's It needs to be about storytelling. It needs to be about people who are passionate about their products, you know. Yes, the brand is important and I'm, I'm proud to be with Sony, but I worked 15 years for them. You know, my, my kids who are 26 and 24, they don't care anymore what brands they want to use, right? They, they just say, this is what makes my experience better and this is what I want, right? So, so that's one of them. There's also the, the, the question about loyalty that I, I hear a lot today uh, saying, you know, loyalty is, is everything and everything needs to be about, about loyalty. And again, yeah, but if you agree with me that branding is not essential, then you would agree with me that loyalty of that brand is not going to be the same. And it's, again, all about experience. Then the third one that I can mention is, and I mentioned it previously, is the fact about positioning. Uh, I hear all the time, yeah, how, do you, how are you going to manage up the positioning of our product? And, uh, you know, it's, it's the most important of the marketing game. Well, I'm sorry, but to me... Positioning is not. UX is the most important element of the marketing game. Yeah. And I feel that every single answer you've given, there's two themes. 
all focused on experience and all rooted in data because the data helps you craft that unique experience to keep customers coming back. And I feel that every single company has to think about that in a different way. There's no one standard. This is how you do it. And that's actually the exciting part of it because you can get creative. But I like that a lot because I think pairing creativity and data or facts is a good way to go about it because it keeps you on your toes, keeps you ahead of the game, keeps you different than other companies. And you're not really thinking about competition at that point. You're just focusing on balancing your acquisition and retention and being able to maximize the value of both. I have one last question that I always end off my podcast episodes with because I always learn something fantastic with this. But is there a piece of either marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that's always stayed with you? Uh, yes, there is one. And I, uh, it's actually in my book as well because the, I, I closed my book with that because that was so important to me. It's actually, uh, as you know, I lived in Japan and uh, Japan has had a huge impact on my life and especially on the life advice. And um, it's an old Japanese say that says, fall down seven times, stand back up eight. Love that one. And, and that's the most important lesson that, you know, I could die tomorrow and at least I would have been happy to have had that sentence because life is never easy. You always have problems. You always have accidents. Life is, is, is never easy for anyone. You know, the biggest lie we can have is every morning say, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How often do you think, actually, I'm not good, but I'm not going to share that. And so what's important is you're down. Yeah, you're going to be down. And I'm not, you know, when I was a professor at the university, I would tell all my students is like, you guys are going to be down. No doubt about it. You've, you have been down. You, you, you've had a girlfriend or a boyfriend that have broken up with you and broken your heart. And you've been like, you know, you've lost your job or you, you failed an exam, whatever it has been. Everybody has been down, but the most important thing, the only lesson that everybody needs to understand is yes, you're down, but definitely get up, get up, get up, get up. Love that. It's so motivating. It's such a good mindset to have. I was actually reading the Will Smith biography recently, and he had a very interesting lesson in the beginning part of his chapters where he was talking about this mindset that his dad instilled within him was that basically his dad had a store and they had a brick wall and the brick wall got broken down by something like weather or something like that. And there was all these bricks to fix the wall. And so his dad wanted to teach Will and his brother Harry a lesson of perseverance, motivation, dedication to the goal that you're trying to achieve. And so he said, you guys are going to rebuild this entire wall. And Will Smith said, okay, how are we going to do that? There's at least like 250 bricks. We don't even know how to do this. We have no idea. And he said, you're looking at it the wrong way. The way that you should be looking at this is not about how do I build this whole wall? It's how do I lay the next brick? And so it kind of goes along with what you're saying of if you get pushed down seven times, you get back up the eighth because the idea is you just think of that next step. You just focus on that next task or goal to get past that tough time or whatever obstacle came in your way because they absolutely will happen. And this is what will make a difference between you and your neighbor or, or your colleague or your is just get up. No, I love that. That's a really nice thought piece to end on. And I think a lot of people will agree with that and say, you know what, how will I get up the next time that I face an issue or an obstacle or something like that, especially thinking about 
all the changing things happening in the world when trying to work on a business, build a business, grow a business. It's a crazy world out there. But luckily, we have people like yourself to share some really interesting insights and help along the way. So thank you so much. It was so lovely to have you on the episode. And to all those listening, don't forget that Nicholas has a book coming out, The Talking Dog. So make sure you grab your copy of it and you can learn all about these insights and I'm assuming so much more in that wonderful book. So with that, we'll end the episode and I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks everyone. Bye. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.